0: Amen. good morning. Uh, Dave is actually going to be doing our, um, our sunrise service at Easter um, out at the property so if you're uh, interested, if, you, that, if you enjoyed that you know, hopefully you 'll come out and hear him he 'll have a message there for you guys It'll just be an awesome, kind of nice traditional sunrise service out there. We are starting a new series called Pardoned and we' are asking uh, this basic question of, of, of the, from the Bible is this uh, you know us have, who are Christians in this room. What do we do once we're forgiven? Once you've received this pardoning from God, once you've received this forgiveness, how should you live? You know, one of the most dangerous things you can do as a Christian, I'll tell you what it is, is to actually put that bumper sticker on your car. You know what I'm talking about? Either the church sticker or the bumper sticker about, you know, you know Jesus, no peace, you know, that whole thing. Uh, something like that. Because inevitably, there's going to come to the moment where you're going to be late somewhere or you forgot your cell phone and you, you've been running around the house and your level of uh, anxiety is high. And, and you're just zooming out and you're flying down the street and you're going to cut somebody off. And what they're going to see in the first thing is no God, no peace. You know, this thing. And you're going to be like, that guy has no peace. What's this all about? And that's inevitably for me like the anxiety I have. I have an olive branch sticker on the back and I'm, I'm driving down. And at be. there's usually this... Uh, Nabe, Kanabi, ah, whatever. But the point is that you get to this spot and everybody's got to get into the same two lanes to turn right to get to the freeway. And inevitably, eventually, during the week, at some point, I have to cut in front of somebody to get over to the lane that I need. And right there is all branch. You know, I'm just glad I don't have like pastor written at the bottom or something where they're like, because that's the problem, right? There's like, oh those those Christians they cut people off and that's what I'm always thinking. On the other hand, then you have the the other side of the story where you're driving and you realize I could be acting like a hypocrite and you, and you then you so you drive perfectly, right? You hit every rule. You're like, I didn't turn my blinker on. You're almost apologizing for you're exactly sixty five in the carpool lane and everybody hates you. Because but you're gonna obey the rules, right? And um and, and that's and that's just kind of this thing. And so they look at those Christians, all oh, those stuffy Christians. They can't they can't they can't just loosen up a little bit or whatever. There's there's these perceptions you can't win either way. You ever felt like that? Um, maybe if you're not a Christian and you're here in this room, maybe you've had those kind of thoughts. It's like, yeah, I know Christians who who act like hypocrites. They don't live according to the rules or all, at all. And yet at the same time, you would never want to live by what you think the rules are for Christianity because you just feel like that's way too tight, way too stuffy. How in the world is a Christian really supposed to live? Because I'm trying to argue that neither of those are appropriate, that you shouldn't just go off and go do whatever you want now that you're forgiven. At the same time, you shouldn't just simply find yourself um, locked into a bunch of rules. You see, either way, it's like we've been pardoned. We've been sitting in these jail cells, and we're awaiting uh, our sentence to work out, and, and suddenly we get the news the governor has uh, taken away, or the president has, has simply pardoned us. And they open the jail cell and they tell you you're free. And in one case, we, we just go out and we start living in this, the world of crime that we once lived in. Well, that, that's just horrible. That's taking the pardon for granted. At the same time, some of us, we, we don't want to leave. and We just stay inside the jail cells and we just follow people around still living in the same patterns or, or, or trying to get everybody else in trouble so that nobody's looking at us anymore. There's all these weird things we do once we've been forgiven. And I think for all of us, once we understand what it looks like to live in Christ or to live being forgiven, maybe a lot of us are going to sit back and just go, wow, you Now I missed out on a lot of things over these last few years. I've, I've, been, I've been so focused on the wrong aspect of this stuff. And that's what we're going to do in this book, uh, in this series, Pardons. We're going to look at that question, how do we live? What do we, where, what do, we do now? And so we're going to get that answer from the book of Romans. So if you will grab a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 6. If you're um if you're not in if you're not a uh not a big Bible reader and you're not quite sure how that works out, uh, grab a Bible from under the seats. You can open, uh, open that one to page 942 and you'll find the very verses we're going to be going over this morning. So join with us. It'll help you out. And uh, I believe it'll, it'll begin to answer that question. And maybe for those of you who aren't Christians, it's going to help you begin to see that this isn't about a bunch of rules. It's not about just going, running off, doing whatever you want, but it's, it's about something very different. So we're going to begin here in, in chapter 6. Paul has just finished explaining in chapter five um, a a very powerful thing. Now, before I get into this, this book of Romans is written by a man named Paul. He was an apostle, who who is a guy sent by Jesus Christ, a missionary, and um, he was writing to the Romans because he wanted to go off to Spain and continue to preach the gospel. And so he's writing the book of Romans, asking these people in Rome, "Hey, will you will you help me out? Will you support me?" And he explains his gospel, explains what he preaches, so that the people are up on what he's going to do and supporting him. So we have this awesome book explaining what the gospel is in some very detailed manner. So this is a really detailed book, sometimes difficult to understand because it's so technical. But We're going to try to break that down a little bit this morning. And we're going to look at this thing. Now, in Romans chapter 5, previous to this, we learn this. The humanity, because of what's gone on in our lives, because of what's happened in our past, in our history, in our families, all the way back to Adam and Eve, we sin. And that sin is piled up. It's like we build sandcastles out of our out of sin. Each grain, being, um, each grain of sand being a sin. We'd have so much. We could build this giant sandcastle out of it. And we're wondering how in the world could God forgive that many things. And yet a tsunami of grace comes in through Jesus Christ and just wipes out that sandcastle. Makes it completely flat. And if there's such a grand tsunami of grace such a huge amount of grace overwhelming all of the sandcastles of all of human beings' lives to wipe them flat, the question that arises is why don't we just take another scoop and pile it on? Why don't we just sin some more? If the grace is going to cover it, why not? And that's what Paul is asking. If we're to assume that Jesus just forgave us so, hey, we can go live our lives in sin and go get drunk and go continue partying and go continue doing all these other things in our lives and continue to treat people poorly, hey, but Jesus has forgiven me. Is that what we're saying? Notice how he says it in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, that it can increase? Paul then says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And I love this. He starts off and he says, the answer to the question, should we just accept Jesus' forgiveness and just go live like crazy, sin like crazy, and expect God to forgive us? He says, no, 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 that's not how it works. And really, it's kind of interesting. I think the way he's putting it, he's saying, how can we, who are now living for Christ and not living for sin anymore, go back to living for sin? How can we, we, see, we stopped living for sin when we started following Jesus Christ. And that's really where we start. We stopped following sin. We stopped living for it. We stopped aiming at it. We stopped going after this world of selfishness and personal desire and sin When we started following a new direction, we turned around. That's what the word repent means. So literally to turn, and we took off in a new direction. And that's the most important thing. A lot of people feel like it's just about being forgiven. No, it's about who are you following. It's about who are you living for. And that's really what he dives into. Look look at verse 5 with me. He begins to kind of untie this whole idea. He says, For if we have been united with Jesus Christ, that's the hymn, in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He kind of repeats this thought later in verse 8. He says, if we've died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. And this is the crux of his argument. He's saying, guys, don't you realize that when you took off following after Jesus, your life got wrapped up in his life. You literally got bound to him. So that his fate is your fate. I, I, the, the weird thought I had when in trying to explain this idea of united here in verse five is this idea of like you're living in the night, you're living in the prohibition time period, and for some reason you got on the wrong side of the mafia. And the mafia decided to do something to you. They found you and they tied you to a barrel. In fact, they didn't just tie you to a barrel. They glued you to that barrel and then tied you on. So you're stuck on this barrel. You're bound to this barrel. And they took the barrel somewhere up in, up in, on the Niagara River and just tossed you in where the, nobody's going to see them. And now you're floating down. Now everybody else just sees a barrel. But you're attached to the barrel. What's the, where's that barrel going to go? Straight over the Niagara Falls that your destiny is bound to the destiny of the barrel. Now, some, some person looking spots that you're tied to that barrel, sees it and goes, whoa, you're in trouble. You're going to die. Now, they're not so concerned about the barrel. The barrel, They would probably watch the barrel go over as an entertainment feature. Look at the barrel go. Woo, They're got kind of it destroyed. Every, all of us, all men in the room know that that's like <laughs> breaking things, right? But, uh, but then they see you attached to it. And suddenly an entire emergency team goes out to try to save you. And in the same time, they're going to save the barrel. See, your destinies are bound. Jesus was resurrected by God. And we who are bound to Jesus are going to be resurrected as well. As Jesus died, so we died. And so there's this uniting, this connection that we have to Christ and our faith. What I believe this is telling you is is this, that we have been united with him in a death like his, that on the crucifixion, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible is very clear, that was intended for us. That cross was ours because of sin. And instead, Jesus got in the way, took our cross, took our sin, and died our death. We were united with him, and so... He goes on, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have this hope that one day we'll be resurrected. But even more, in verse 8, it says, we also live now with him. I mean, something's changed inside of us. We don't live for sin anymore. We died to that. Now we live for God. We live for Christ. And and that's kind of how he begins to develop it in in his own language. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So if we're bound up with Christ, when we start following him, and when you start following him, you believe that he died for your sin, that you died with him, then you start to realize that you're living a new life. You're following a new direction. He says, in that case, then, something radical has occurred. Sin is no longer your master. I don't know about you, but can you remember what it was like before you were a Christian? If you were, you were raised in the church and you're like, oh, there was never a time I wasn't a Christian, that's not true. There's a time in which before that you, that you came to realize what was inside of you, but all of us at some point have come to the realization of our sin and what's going on inside of us. Before that, we were ignorant of it. Do you remember being ignorant of your sin? I totally do. I remember wandering around thinking I was hot stuff because I had all these things that I had done to, to, to win awards and accolades because all I was trying to do in life was to prove myself to everybody else around me. Tell them, look at me, I'm somebody special. You can't stop, you know, you just need to stop treating me the way that you do. I got this and I got this and I can beat you in that and I can beat you in that. And so I was a prideful person, but I never thought it was wrong. Never thought it was wrong. Never assumed once that maybe it was annoying that it was arrogant. That it was. It was just this awful way that people saw me and thought, "I'm going to beat that guy up just because he's proud," you know. But when I came to Christ, when I when I walked over that threshold and I started following Jesus and I died to my old life, the old way I used to live. Suddenly, the one thing that happened is I didn't get just like what well, we we want to think that hey, I'm free from sin. I get to do. I, I don't want to sin anymore. No, 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 no. That's for eternity. What happens is slave, the slavery was broken so that I had a choice. And now I began to struggle with sin, where I never struggled before, where I never struggled with my pride, where I never struggled with lying, where I never struggled with these certain things in my life. And all of us have something back there that you didn't really struggle with. You didn't even know it was sin. Suddenly, you were convicted of Suddenly, you're struggling with. Suddenly, you're like, "Why I do this all? Why can't I do this anymore? Why do I have to make a choice now to stop doing?" And it's because you decided to follow Christ. Your life was bound with Him. You died to sin, and the struggle began. And I say that because I know a lot of you in the room. You wonder, you know, I'm a Christian. Why am I struggling with sin? Why am I still struggling to not do certain things, to not have certain pride, to not, to not lie in a certain way? To, why, why am I still struggling to not be a people pleaser, but a God pleaser? Why am I still wrestling with this? And it's because you're a Christian. Christians wrestle with sin because you have a choice. You've been set free from the slavery. A slave doesn't struggle because a slave just does what they're supposed to do in, in the biblical sense. And what's the reality is before sin said do it, we just did it. We loved it, we worked at it, we lived for it. But now you die to it. And now you live for something else. Why don't we keep on sinning now that grace has come, now that we're forgiven? is because honestly, we don't live for that anymore. Does it still try to tell you what to do? Christians, does it still try to tell you what to do? Okay, we're awake, and I hope you realize that because it's important to note that it still tries to tell you what to do, but you're alive to God. You've woken up. You have a choice that exists, and that choice is final. Now, sin's always going to be there to try to tell you what to do. It's always going to be floating around, but we know that Christ has beat it. Look at verse 9 and 10. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So his thing is final. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. What this is saying is that Jesus dealt the final, the final blow to death. He's, he's dealt with it finally. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it kind of clarifies this. and it says in verse 727, he has no need like those high priests. And speaking way back to the time of the Old Testament, where a certain priest was allowed to go in and, and sprinkle blood on the altar to forgive sins. And they had to go in for their own sin and for others. And Jesus went once, and he, so he doesn't have to do it anymore. He had no need like the other high priest, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up himself. When you've been bound with Christ, Jesus' death finished sin. The penalty of it's over. This is important because while sin is trying to tell you to do things, one, you don't have to do it. And two, when you do fail, the penalty's done. There is grace. And the relationship never ends. If you think because you sinned, because you missed a quiet time, because you, because you ran after this thing and, and, you, and, you, and you willfully ignored the Holy Spirit in your heart, you're thinking, oh, I can't be a Christian anymore. You ever been there? fought so hard against sin, failed so many times that you sat back and said, am I even a Christian? What this is telling you is that Jesus dealt with that once and for all. Once you're following Jesus, yes, you're gonna have times of your life where you are falling back into old habits. And we'll talk about how sin gets, grabs hold of us again next week. But what we've realized is that this is a finalized relationship. Once you come to Christ, once you're following after him, it's over. Sin is dealt with it's effectively dead to you. You have no relationship with it. It'll try, but you don't have to follow. You don't have to live for it anymore. You don't have to go after it anymore. And when you do, it's still final. It's still dealt with. So that doesn't mean we can just go sin. No. Why would you do that? You're following him. What do we do then when temptation comes? What do we do when the tension between sin and and following Christ appears, because it's going to happen. All, temptation will rise, Satan will, will come about. I think Paul reminds us in first, the first case up here in verse 4, what we're supposed, or first 3, what we're supposed to do. We need to remember our baptism. We need to remember that we have been baptized. And he goes on to say this, we, Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You were baptized into his death. Don't you realize that when you were baptized in Christ, you were baptized into his death? It was a symbol, a picture. He goes on. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This newness of life we have is symbolized in baptism. And Paul almost is like, when you're in this place, you think you can go sin, just remind yourself who you're following. Remember your baptism. Because the baptism represents the starting point. It represents the public display that I'm following Jesus. I'm after him. I'm not doing my thing anymore. I died to my old life, and I'm going after him. So there's some symbolism in baptism. And When we do baptisms in Easter, if you would like to be baptized at Easter, let us know. We're still pushing on that. We still would love to have more people. But it's a picture. What is it a picture of? First of all, it reminds us that we're pardoned. It's a revealing that we've died to sin, and we've come to life. It's a picture saying, God has forgiven me, I've identified with Jesus, I'm bound up, and I've been buried with him, and I'm rising with him. And so it's really interesting. Baptism also um, is this public statement of that. It is claiming that I am after Jesus, I am publicly going for him. And so now everybody can look at you and watch as you kind of march forward. It's better than a bumper sticker. It's a public symbol your bumper sticker is just a a pointing back to your baptism and it's a reminder of how you're living baptism is a way of really having your funeral early if you think about it that's what we're saying I've died to my old life I've died now I'm being born again and really it's It's a glorious moment because you're dying to sin. You're dying to an old pattern. You're dying to an old way. You're dying to these things. You're saying, I'm done with it. I'm not living for it anymore. I'm living for Jesus Christ. And so you come out to walk a new life, as it says, in newness of life. And so it represents this resurrection. It represents this new living. All is bound into baptism. That's so why we need to understand what that ha- what happens there. Why we do full immersion at the church is it's a picture of that. And that you're buried, it's your baptism, you're down, you're under, you're dead, you come back to new life. You've publicly identified it to everybody that I'm following Jesus, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God. And then things just shift. They shift. When that, when that transformation begins, it, it, it can be so important. In fact, I want to, I want to introduce you to, to somebody who, who can kind of help illustrate that. Would you guys welcome Tommy Wright up? He's going to be up here to kind of talk about this in his life. Tommy, how you doing? Good. You guys have seen Tommy. He plays guitar up here. And uh, you've been here, what, three, four years? Yeah, three going on four. Yeah, so he's uh, been playing with playing with a band here and doing a lot of different stuff behind the scenes. And so maybe some of you guys think, hey, they're in the band. They're like, they're like rock star Christians, the best of the best. And he is the best of the best, just so you know. But the... Uh, yeah, But you may think maybe he's always been a Christian, but but he hasn't. In fact, Tommy, I mean, you got a really cool story. You kind of want to let him know where you kind of were before you came to Christ, kind of give him that, that news.
1: Yeah, I was, I've always been a very ambitious person. I got out of the house very young age, very early, got married young, was anxious to get my life started. Um, I figured out really early I didn't want to work for anybody else. I wanted to kind of do my own thing. Mm-hmm. So I started surrounding myself with people that were like that, right, the people that were um, people of money, power, influence, all those things, so that I could be crapped by these guys. Well, they taught me that you couldn't get a deal done business-wise without having some relationships. And you couldn't build these kinds of relationships unless you were getting with people after hours. And the after hours meetings almost always consisted of a drink in the hand or lines on the table. So I found myself coming face to face with choices all the time, right? And I always thought that as long as I didn't go as deep as everybody else, I was okay. I was still the good guy, right? My measuring stick was movable based off of if it was convenient for me or not.
0: Right, and you know, this, uh, this kind of world affected your family life,
1: you're telling me? Well, absolutely. I was, um, you know, I had, like I was saying, I was very ambitious, and I had a picture of what I wanted my life to look like. So instead of my marriage being centered on in love, it was, it, I was more interested in crafting it to look the way I wanted my life to be. Mm. You know, so when you make, when you're used to making compromises to further your goals, you do the same thing in your marriage. Okay.
0: Now, how did all that kind of lead, how did you finally come to Christ? How did all this kind of culminate to where you, you really met Christ and started following
1: him? Well, I had um, a lot of success at this point. I am mean, it was still my early 20s. I had more success and money than somebody that he probably should. Um, <laughs> and the, then, the, then something happened that did really change things. My wife got pregnant. We, I was not ready for this. I, was, I wanted to further my goals. I wanted to build the business and have the money and the freedom and all that that goes with that. Well, she was scared of bringing a child into the world in this environment, right? It wasn't, from where I stood, there was, it wasn't that bad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was fine, but again, I was, my measuring stick was based off the people around me. So she's the one that started seeking out, going, you know, I, I'm going to go to church, right? It's not going to be fun, but I'm going to go. I'm going to get involved in a church, because um, she had the same kind of idea about Christians that I did, that they're very buttoned up, straight-laced, void of passion, void of risk type we, people. We've never met anybody like that, right? No. Right? There's always reserved, always thank you, polite, you know, with a soft handshake. And um, that just didn't fit who we were. So she started church shopping, if you will. Okay. Um, and I was, Sunday was all about, I was the party house, right? You can to my house for the big barbecue, the beer fest, football, football, you know, it was all about that. So I had no interest in doing this church shopping with her. But I like the idea that she was interested in that. So she started going to different churches. And she found a church called The Crossing there in Costa Mesa. And she told me, she shared with me that she had two thoughts when she first walked in there. One, she was home. Two, my husband will come here. So No, why was that? Well, she finally got me after about three or four weeks of asking me to come with her. Come with her. Please come with me. Please come with me. I'm pregnant. Please come with me. Right? So finally I, I canceled my football fest and I went with her. And they opened up the church service with a Van Halen song. Really? Yeah. They had great musicians. They had the moving lights, and the, they had dramas that they did on stage. But they played Van Halen. This was a song I was very familiar with. They were played right now. It was, hmm. um, then the message was about what are you waiting for? You know, right now is the time that if God's pulling on your heart, now is when you make the decision. Don't wait for it. to be. So they kind to be, of tied
0: that into their actual song. Absolutely.
1: The whole, there was a theme throughout it. But the themes, they connected things that I could relate with and it was in a presentation style that captured me. I didn't really like the pastor very much, to be honest, at first. <laughs> we're and, hard to get to like, trust But me. I, I loved what the band was doing, the music, and what the, the people were. The people all had passion there, mm. right? Excellent. So wow. my wife got involved, and she was serving and stuff. She was volunteering in the nursery, right, because she wanted to meet other moms that could be a better influence than the guys I was running with. Um, <laughs> she got invited to have a volunteer appreciation night. Well, I, she, again, begged me to come with her. So I went with her as her husband who had started coming to this church a couple times. The guy at the door asked me, you know, who I am, what do I do, and he said he did the tech ministry, and he said, oh, great, you know anything about this? I was like, yeah, I know a little bit. He said, great, come on by this weekend. The next thing you know, I was running sound for the church that weekend. Wow. So then I'm on the schedule, and then I'm going, next thing you know, the pastor makes a challenge to start volunteering and get in small groups, and now I'm in a small group with my wife. And it was essentially two years of me going to this church, doing all the things that you're supposed to do, that they're telling you to do, because I saw people modeling this that were full so of life, full of passion. This is really a
0: process, and you're hearing the gospel throughout this whole time. Absolutely. It,
1: was, it wasn't this aha moment, an emotional response to a song that was played or anything. It was an intellectual journey and a heart-changing journey.
0: So what was that, what was that line in the sand for you, really? Well, when they, uh, we had
1: done Purpose Driven Life. Um, as a, as a church and in our small group, and I made the decision to get baptized. Me, and my wife did together. Wow. And we were taught that you don't wait when, once that you have that change. You don't wait for the beach baptism on Easter or whatever the perfect moment mm-hmm. is. You you make the change now.
0: Hey hey hey! Well, just because we're having Easter,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so we did that. So and we got baptized together, and um, we were drawing that line in the sand, saying we're not going. I'm not going to let my ambitions control me anymore. Right? There was this understanding I had come to that instead of my ambitions being my my driving force, I needed God at the top, my family next, my wife and my children and the rest of my family, and then all my other things, my ambitions and uh, my pride and all that stuff that goes Mm. with church ambitions is below that.
0: So the baptism was really kind of this moment of turning for you where you said, I'm done doing this, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Really public moment for you? It, It was because, see, I was in a business
1: relationship with partners that this is how we conducted business was like I was explaining before, right? And I, I wasn't gonna engage in that anymore, but yet they're wanting me to still grow the business and go out and manage the client relationships and do the all these way. things right. the same way. And they knew I was going through this. They knew I was getting involved in my church and I, wasn't, and I had to say, I'm not gonna do this anymore.
0: So they, they saw that life change. How did they respond to that? Well, at first their initial response
1: was I wussed out, right? I was no longer, I lost the edge. I was incapable of growing a business and doing what it was necessary. Um, But later they saw that I, what happened was my my line that was moving before was now static, right? Mm. There was a truth that I had to uphold, and my decisions were based off of I was now in a relationship with the Lord, right? You don't do things against somebody that you love um, intentionally ever, right, if you love them. So I had to—my choices were were not to live that way anymore, not because— I thought that was bad or wrong because my opinion, obviously, as I showed before, was, was movable. You know? I didn't have to make the best decisions at that time. Um, I, didn't, I wanted to live in a way that God would be proud of me, that would inspire others to
0: come to him because it was, it's better when he's on top. So sinning after, after this relationship, just willfully going after it, just wasn't a question.
1: It, yeah, it wasn't an issue. God, God took away some of the big stumbling blocks for me. I, it felt like, like almost supernaturally I didn't have desires for certain things, but there was still a lot of things that I wrestled with, and it took a, lot, a long time and diligence to live
0: that out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys hear your own story in some ways in this when it comes to following Christ? Would you guys thank Tommy for being here and just sharing this with us? Thank you. Thank you, man. You know, I, we had him come up because this, the, the line in the sand of baptism for him was so important. And it's really what Paul is saying. It was at that moment that things turned, and he's saying, go back. Remember that turning point. Remember that shift. Remember what's gone on. And um, this illustration that he's talking about with these priority changes is what Paul gets into. He's saying, guys, it's not, about, um, it's not just about, hey, you're, you've been forgiven. Go do whatever you want. It's a priority change. It's who you're living for. And maybe that needs to be what we, we just aim in on, and, and because that's where it Paul really goes to. Look, look one more time with me, kind of bouncing off of what Tommy told us, this pyramid concept of God first, family second, and the business and stuff comes third, is really kind of what Paul is saying. Notice what he says. Go down here to verse 11. He says, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus don't let sin reign in your mortal body, making you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God for those who have been, uh, as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members as instruments from, for righteousness. Because sin will have no dominion over you. You're not under the law. You're under grace. And, and so there's this reality that what we get to do now is we, we have this new priority set. You surrender yourself over to God to do what God wants you to do. When you, when you continue to live in sin and continue to run after sin, continue to have your old priorities, there's not really been a change. I just want to, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Maybe you've been somebody has only received Christ in name. Maybe you're continuing to just run after the old ways that you live, thinking God's kind of baptized them with your baptism. But that's not what's gone on. The old language... The old ways have got to be put in context of your new relationship, what you're aiming at now. Who are you after? How much time have we wasted not living for God when you think about it? How many, how many years have we given to just fighting off sins and things instead we were supposed to be in this whole time running after God with everything we have? I think that's what he's saying. When we surrender ourselves over to what God wants us to do, we're now living for God. We have this relationship with God. He says that very clearly. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. Meaning that you're living for him how do you go living for him? How do you really have that relationship? At at the church, when we talk about it, we talk about that connecting, being active, being nourished. This idea of connecting with Christ in prayer, connecting with the brothers and sisters in Christ, being in small group, being in community. Notice how that was so pivotal in Tommy's testimony that it went from active in service to this group with people. And all this time, the gospel is being dripped, dripped, dripped into his life. It was being lived before him. All of his assumptions were... We're being taken down as he came to know Christ and passionately follow after him. It's the relationship with Christ and that births everything out of that. Everything else comes in order. Having that community, having that connection with God in prayer, being in the word of God, eating in it, drinking it in, being nourished by it, memorizing it, meditating on it, studying it, being people who are active in service. Guys, we have plenty of opportunities for service here at the church. If you're just waiting around for somebody to ask you, what does that say about what your relationship is with God? Well, God, I'm going to relate with you only when somebody tells me I, I, they need me. No, it, when, you, when you walk with Christ, you seek out how you can fulfill those, that relationship with him. You don't wait for somebody to come and tell you, well, this is, how, this, let me, this, is your, this is your Bible study for the week. If you're depending solely upon the sermon, you're not getting enough. If you're waiting for somebody to ask you to go tell them about Jesus, it's probably not gonna happen. We are the ones who have to initiate. We are the ones who have to walk in this. As he says, don't present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness, you're the one presenting yourself. No, present yourselves to God. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. You do the activity of presenting yourself. You do the activity of doing these things. Otherwise, what happens is we run back to sin, and we don't want to run back to sin. We don't want to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. And when we're being inactive, we're just sitting around. We're waiting for sin to just rise up and rule us. So we don't want to run back. We don't want to give ourselves over. And you know, you guys know when that happens, right? You all, you, you kind of remember it. First thing, what's the first thing that happens? You get tired, right? Kind of exhausted from your week. So you just kind of go into the zone of laziness. Anybody enter that zone? You kind of drop your guard. You're like, oh, I just need a break. And now as you're dropping your, you don't break, you don't rest in Christ. You don't rest in your relationship. You just kind of open yourself up to whatever, Next thing you know, there's temptation. There's things you might be doing that you weren't necessarily wanting to do. You may may have entered into a conversation because you've been dropping your guard long enough. Guys, the point is don't let sin reign. Be on guard against sin. Remember, you're following Christ, so be active in your relationship with him. So surrender yourself to God and act out for him. Act in the ways that he's calling you to act. And that's really that last idea here in verse 13, that you activate yourself to follow Christ. You surrender yourself over to God. Go ahead and go to that last point for me. You surrender yourself over for, to Him. I realize temptation is going to come. It's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in a situation, and maybe that your idol is food, and you're going to be staring in that refrigerator, and you're just going to be thinking, Oh, I really want that ice cream. And you're thinking ice cream is not sin. It is for some people. When they're leaning on it for their comfort when they're leaning on it to protect their emotions, it becomes an idol. People pleasing can be an idol. Jesus wasn't a people pleaser, read him. There a lot of people he offended because he stood for the truth. You know, some of us can find ourselves in an idol position where we're worshiping our quiet times more than the God of the quiet times. Where we're worshiping our way of doing church. Worshiping our way of having small group, worshiping our way of you name it, we can turn anything into our comfort zone and turn it into our idols. But he's saying, no, in those cases you surrender. You go, God, I don't want anything but you to be my God. I'm surrendering myself over to you. So you're into prayer, you're talking to the Lord, you enter into the word of God as a relationship with him, and you're letting him train you. And really what you're saying is what Matthew 6, 10 taught us. says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice it's not my kingdom, my will. It's God, your kingdom, your will. I surrender. When we pray that prayer, we're just basically giving our lives back to God. You got a major decision to make? Well, we don't want to send and give it right back to God. He teaches you to the word. You start studying it. And I like to ask this one question. When I'm really in this place and I feel temptation and I'm sitting there going, God, I'm surrendering to you. What do I do? The next question I want to ask myself is this. What good do you want me to do right now? What good do you want me to do right now? you ever asked that? It's not just fight off sin. It's not just ignore that you're feeling tempted. You need to flip it and ask, what good do I need to do right now? And we need to do it. How often are you sitting around in a certain location that you ask God, God, you know, what do you want me to do right now? He's just like, pray. And aside, you're going, uh. Well, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't live after him. Live after God. Yeah, sometimes it's tough. But we're after Jesus. We're living for him. And when Jesus prays, we pray. When. When Jesus was, was confronting people, maybe God's telling you confront for the good. What good is it that we have to do? It looks in so many forms. Serving people, caring for people, maybe presenting the gospel, standing for righteousness, loving on another person, just praying for them. What good can you do right now? It's an important question and what I believe is that's the simple question that's turning us back to God, turning us back to surrendering, saying, God, I present myself before you. Use me as you see fit. I'm not presenting myself to sin any longer. I'm alive to you. Why would I continue in sin? Priority, God and everything else. Why don't we continue in sin? Why don't we go run after what we feel like in our emotions? Because we're already running after something. We're running after Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So I challenge you, church, are you really, really running after him? Examine your heart right now. Bow your heads with me. Examine your heart right now. Who are you really living for? In your breaks, at your work, with your family, who are you really living for? you're not a Christian, it's a great question too. Who are you really living for? Are you living for that money? I mean, you heard Tommy, he told you, look, it really wasn't worth it when he had it. Were you living for the next high? He said, hey, I had kids. I really don't want my kids living for that. Why would I want to live for that? What are you living for? Jesus Christ calls us to follow him so we can follow after him and live for him so that we can see what we're ultimately here for. But the thing that gets in the way is the fact that we're running after our own selfishness, our own sin. And sin is the thing that separates us from God. And this morning, God wants to let you know. He's saying, guys, listen to me. I have given you my son, Jesus, to take your sin so that you can be bound to him and so that as he rose from the dead. You can have a new life. And maybe it's time to receive that. Maybe it's time to stop running after what you want to live for and start running after what God's got you for in Jesus Christ. He's given you that chance to remove that sin through his son, to bear it for you, to have that great tidal wave of grace sweep away that sandcastle of sin. maybe right now you need to receive that forgiveness from Jesus Christ so you can begin to follow after Jesus and have a life where sin is not holding you down you're free if that's you you'd like to receive that forgiveness of sins and live a life in which God is guiding you yeah it's a fight against sin but he's always there he's guiding you and leading you in a new direction you're ready to turn around right now Why don't you receive him right now? If that's you and you'd like to, raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you right now in this room. Put your hand up and we can just say, I am giving my life to Jesus. I'm after him. If that's where you're at and you'd like to do that with me, just pray this prayer. You say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. And I ask that you'd forgive me. I ask that you would lead me in my life as I'm following you. I trust that Jesus took my sin. I trust that he's pointing me a new direction and that my life is bound with his. I receive your gift and I'm ready to live for you. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.